close your eyes with me for a moment. I just want you to think about that song. Well, rest in His promises. What is it right now that you need to rest in the promises of God? Father God, let me just pause here in a moment to listen to Your Spirit. Just tell us about rest. God, would you speak right now to each and every person as they just kind of wrestle with that question, what is it that I just need to rest in God's hands with? Put it in His hands and just let Him hold on to it and just rest knowing that His promises are faithful. God, for some, I just sense in here, they need to rest their finances in your hands. For some in here, Lord, they need to rest their marriage in your hands. God, for some, maybe it's I need to rest my health situation into your hands. Rest the work stress into your hands. Rest child-raising challenges maybe you're facing into your hands. Rest taking care of parents maybe that are aging into your hands. And trust your promises that are yes and amen. God, help us to put our rest into you. Rest school stress and tests that are coming into your hands. Father, your scriptures speak to so many situations of life. And today we dive in and hear about Jesus' focus on the Word of God. And Lord, the more we know your Word, the more we can rest because we know your promises. Father God, speak to us in this room today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You might want to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. That will be a main text that we'll be in today. Let's do a little review again. I've been doing that because I want to make sure we, church, church, I want to make sure we get this. If we can get what I've been talking about the last few weeks about having power to deepen our walk with God, you will go, you'll do miraculous things in your life. And we've got to get down what we've been talking about, our our three main goals. Review with me. What's What's goal number one? All right, we're getting there. What's goal number one? Love God. Goal number two? Love your neighbor, and goal number three, love yourself. Now, there's a lot of help over here. This side over here, are you all awake yet? What's goal number one, just this section here? Love God. What's goal number two? Love your neighbor and love yourself. What's it come from? Matthew, the book of Matthew. You also find it in some other passages of Matthew 22, 37 through 39. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. My premise to you is this, because it's right from the Word of God. That's our goals for living. No matter what you're doing in life, no matter where you're at, if you're pursuing degrees and doctor degrees, if, if you're a millionaire, or if, you are, if you're living off the kind of the the leftovers of life, so to speak. No matter where we're at in life, our goals, love God, love your neighbor, and love yourself. When we get that straight, we can walk through life. 
We can walk through life with joy, with peace, with contentment, saying, I'm pursuing that. All this other stuff, it's going to come, it's going to go. Because today you could be rich and tomorrow you could be poor. Today you could be poor and maybe tomorrow you're going to be rich. Things can change rather quickly. Today you could be healthy and tomorrow you could be sick. Today you could have a job and tomorrow you could have no job. It's very possible. And so we put our goals into this world and what this world has to offer. When those things are taken away, life comes crumbling down. But we put our goals into what God tells us to do. Listen, pursue me with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then love your neighbor, love people you interact with, and then learn to love yourself because if you are in Christ, you've been, you've been bought by the blood of Christ. And when you understand who you are in Christ, you say, you know, I can love myself, even though I have a lot of hang-ups and a lot of hurts and lots of challenges. And so we need to keep that goal straight. Now, there's a thing that gets in the way of this. What is the thing that gets in the way of us living out those goals? Life. Life gets in the way. Finances hit. Health hits. Uh, school tests hit. Uh, marriage things hit. All that kind of stuff. Things of life hits. And then what happens is we get consumed with life. That wheel of life we've been talking about that rolls on and on and on. And it will go on until the day we die. When life hits, sometimes we get overwhelmed with that, do we not? Anybody here ever feeling overwhelmed? Anybody, are you here today and you're like, man, life is overwhelming right now. And it may not be right this moment, but it may happen next week or a month from now. You go, man, life is just coming at me left and right. And so we have to learn how do we manage life. Now, we have two options that I propose to you. One is you can manage life with who? Yourself. Me, myself, and I. Whatever I've learned, whatever I've been taught, whatever I believe, I'll manage life that way. Or I manage life by putting who in the middle of that? Say it again. Holy Spirit, Jesus, or somebody who said God. Yeah, we learn how to put God in the middle of life by our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And when God is in the middle of life, John chapter 14, we're not going to go back. We were like, what are you talking about? Go read John chapter 14. Because the Holy Spirit will teach us what? All things. You guys are catching on. You guys are good. All things. He'll teach us all things. And so how do we learn to, to let the Holy Spirit teach us all things? Well, we do what Jesus did. First John 2, 6, the one who says he remains in him should, what? Walk just as Jesus walked. So what we've been doing in this series, saying, well, I want to have power and I want to go deeper with God. I want to I live out these goals of loving God and loving our neighbor and loving ourselves. I want to do that. I understand that life gets in the way, but Jesus had life getting in the way. And so I want to look at the life of Christ, and I want to see how did he walk in life? What was his stroll? What was his steps that he took? How did he have a relationship with God the Father? And so we're looking at that and saying, if Jesus did that and set that example for us, and he is the one, as 1 John 2, 6 says, that live in him, God, we should live our lives as Jesus did, then we want to look at him as the model. And so we've been looking at that model over the last two weeks. We've been looking at Jesus' life, and we're using the acronym of POWER. P stands for to pray like Jesus prayed. Had a guy this morning say, Brian, that message just really spoke to me. I'm making it a priority every day. I'm taking five, seven minutes, just me and God, I'm just praying. That's a huge step. That's a huge step to say, you know what, I'm going to stop. In my day, somewhere, I'm going to stop and spend time with God to pray. The old last week, we talked about obeying like Jesus obeyed. 
we really looked at the comparison of Jesus going to the cross when in the garden he prayed and said, Lord, is there some other way? Father, is there another way for this to happen? He said, if not, I'll be the one. I'll follow the plan. And he said, I did everything that my dad, my father, told me to do. And so he obeyed his father. Today, I want us to look at the W, and that's called word-centered living. Word-centered living. Jesus looked at the scriptures, and Jesus learned the scriptures, and Jesus knew the scriptures. We must look at Jesus' attitude toward the Word of God. See, if we want to model our lives after Jesus' example, as He calls us to do, then we must hold the same view of Scripture that Jesus did. We can't have a lighter view that says, ah, this is just another good book. Well, some of it's true. Some of it, you know, maybe it's old, it's antiquated. I don't know if it all applies to me. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus had a very high view of God's Word and how he related to Scripture. And as I've looked at the life of Christ, and I look at the relationship of God's Word, I've noticed a few overarching truths. One is, uh, Jesus never made light of Scripture. You can't find an example where he's like, now, God told us that, but hey, let's back up on that a little bit. It's not in there. He never downplayed the significance of Scripture for his personal guidance. He always held it up as a high view. He did not doubt the authority of God's Word. He didn't question the Old Testament events. Some do that today. I know Christians who go, now, come on, that thing got Jonah and a whale. You really think he got swallowed by a whale? Yes, I do. Believe to be true. You, you know, I mean, that Red Sea thing, you really think he parted that wet Red Sea and it was like a wall of water on each side and the ground was really dry? There's no way. No, I believe that really happened. It's true. See, Jesus didn't debate those things. He took them for what they were, for real events in history. In history. Jesus held the Bible in the highest of esteems. Eighty times in the Gospels, Jesus is quoted for more than 70 chapters from 24 different Old Testament books. In other words, he knew the Old Testament and he looked back at it and he brought it into life as he's walking in the world when he was walking on earth. The word was center stage in Jesus' life and ministry. The scriptures formed the basis of his rebuke of other religious leaders. I mean, he accused the Sadducees of ignorance when he said to them, you are an heir because you don't know the scripture. Pretty strong coming at him and saying, you're an heir because you don't know this. Church, I must say that's pretty true of the Christian culture today. We're an heir and we are where we are in our culture today because we as Christians don't know this. And when we don't know this, then we're not going to obey this because we don't know how to obey it because we don't know it. And sometimes a lot of the pain and the hurt that we bring upon ourselves is because we don't know this. And if we knew this and then we did what we talked about last week, so I'm going to obey it, life could be a lot different for a lot of us. And so Jesus came right at the Sadducees and said, you don't know it. He asked his opponents over and over again, have you not read? H have you not heard? Have you not seen what the scripture says? He said, have you not taken a look at that? And he challenged them with that, saying, you've got to listen to what the word teaches. The scriptures were his defense against temptations with Satan. You remember it was after 40 days of fasting? Satan comes and tempts him three different times. And each time, what did Jesus say? He said, it is written. He didn't say, Satan, now you leave me alone. 
He didn't say, well, you know what? That turning that stone into a piece of bread sounds like a good idea. He didn't say, yes, I can have all the kingdoms of the, of the earth. He said, Satan, it is written. What's in here is what my life is being directed by, and Satan, I'm going to follow that, even though what you're telling me looks like fun. You tell me, if you've been fasting for 40 days and someone puts a steak and a baked potato and green beans in front of you, are you going to say, I want it? We would, wouldn't we? In that situation, though, Jesus knew it is written. And this is what I'm going to follow. Jesus knew the scriptures thoroughly, thoroughly, even down to the verb tense and even to the smallest word. He warned against supplanting the authority of the word with man-made traditions. He lived his life in submission to what was written about him in the word. And Jesus' respect for the knowledge of and the dependence of the word of God are evident in every turn of his life. Look at Matthew 5 with me because I think this passage gives us Jesus' high view of Scripture so that we can then see how his life was directed. Matthew 5, let me begin with verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You see what Jesus is doing there? Jesus, this is actually right in the middle of what's known as the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Some have said, if you want to know how to live for Christ, memorize Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and you'll learn what it looks like to be a Christian and what God calls us to do. And right, right at the very beginning of that message, first he goes through that Beatitudes, and he talks about being salt and light and how a city on a hill cannot be hidden. And he comes right in and says, the way you do this is you know the Word of God. The way you do this is you have a high view of of scripture. See, according to verse 17, how did Christ see his role? He says, I came to fulfill the scripture. See, Jesus knew that his life was a fulfillment of what the law and the prophets, the Old Testament law, the Old Testament prophets, what they talked about, what they proclaimed about, about a savior to come. Jesus knew my life is fulfilling that. Imagine how you would respond if you understood your life in the same way. Imagine how carefully you would study the scriptures if you felt your job was to fully obey what was written in it. Imagine how diligently you would examine the Bible if you truly believed it contained your assignment for life. This was his attitude. His passion was knowing and living out the word of God. And church, may I suggest that that is our job? We're going to walk in his steps. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to redeem. He came to preach good news. And that's our job. Because when we become a Christian, we take on the mission that was given the disciples in Matthew 28 when he says, go into all the world to preach, to teach, to make disciples, to baptize. That's our job. And if we really are going to be serious about that job, then we should study, study the manual. 
study the instruction book. We should know it inside and out so that whenever we're walking through life and when we're trying to teach somebody else about life, we can say, yeah, here's what God's word says. Not my opinion. See, whenever you say, well, here's what I think, what you're moving back to is put me in the middle of life and let me tell you what I think. Really, what we think really is a, means nothing. Should be, I'm sorry about your situation or you're wrestling with this situation. Let's turn to the word of God to guide us. And Jesus saw that as his mission and he said, my mission comes right from the word of God and so I'm going to know the word of God. Jesus did what God told Joshua to do. See, after the death of Moses, the reins of leadership were being passed. You may remember this. The reins of leadership were being passed from Moses to Joshua to lead the Israelite people. If you remember, Moses led the Israelite people but never brought them into the promised land. Brought them right basically to the edge. And here is what God said to Joshua and the people. He said, be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Jesus didn't turn to the right he didn't turn to the left. He didn't go down his own path. He said, I need to know this. This has got to direct my life. Can we get real honest for a moment? Am I allowed to just go in deeper with you for a second? A lot of us are real guilty of knowing everything about the news, because CNN and Fox News and whatever. A lot of us know all the latest whatever that's going across social media because we're really good about being on the Facebook or on the Instagram or on the Twitter or, or whatever it is. A, a lot of us know about what's going on in our kid's school or, or following up, and, and we stay on top of it. I mean, we know, man, my kid has practice this day, that time, have game this time, this time. A lot of us know all about our work, because we depend upon these things of life. But this right here, as a society, the church has become biblically illiterate. Biblically illiterate. And when you look at what God said to Joshua, don't turn from the right or the left. Live in this book, in other words. Know this book inside and out. I know several of you in this room are probably readers. You love to read. Latest whatever kind of book. You, you love it. What about taking a month or two months or six months and say, I'm going to read nothing else but this. How would life change for you? What would be different? If you say, you know, I'm, I'm setting aside the novel that I'm reading and it may be absolutely nothing wrong with a novel. I'm setting aside the, the self-help books that I'm reading. I'm setting aside the books that teach me about business. I'm just setting aside all the books. And this is going to be my book for a month. Now, students over here, don't do that. Wait till summertime. But this summer, what about saying, I'm going to read this every day. And I'll be in it during the month of June, July, and August. And you know what? We have no excuse, church, in today's technology world. 
You can download an app and it will send you a reminder every single day. Open your Bible. You can download that app and you can listen to it. You say, I'm not a very good reader or I'm a slow reader or I lose focus. You can turn your Bible on and listen to it as you follow along. You can be walking around the neighborhood and have the thing in your pocket, doing your exercise with the headphones on, go, I'm going to listen to the Word of God. I'm going to listen to it. I'm going to read it. I'm going to digest it. I'm going to put it into my life. Had a gathering this week in my office with two men, one guy who started on a journey with God about five years ago and really getting serious about it, and one who's just trying to learn some, some, some how to walk in God. And the guy who five years ago, he said, the biggest thing that changed my life was I started getting real serious about this. And he pulls out his app and shows it to me. He says, I've gotten 60 days in a row without missing. Without missing. And if I had him stand up on a stage, you would, be, you would never guess who it was. You'd be like, oh my goodness, that guy's that serious about the Word of God? He said, my life has been changed. Because he got serious about the Word of God. Look at Matthew 5.18. Go back to our passage. He says, for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, do not... Uh, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. What's Jesus' perspective here in the scripture? He didn't want to see the smallest part set aside, part of God's word. He saw that every single part of scripture was important. The word used here in the Hebrew is actually yod. Y-O-D. It's the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And the Greek word translated as least stroke of a pen here literally means a little horn or a point or extremity. Because what would happen is they would write in those languages little dots and little dashes and, and little symbols and several Hebrew letters were written with small points that distinguished the letter from one to another and changing a small point of that letter might vary the meaning of the word completely. And when Jesus said not one jot or tittle shall pass from the law, he was referring to these tiny little marks like saying every single one of them need to be used. For Jesus, all of Scripture, even the smallest stroke of the pen, demanded his total allegiance and his total obedience to Scripture. That's why in translations, when they did translations and they were bringing it over from the Greek or the Hebrew, they would count the letters. And if they were off by one letter, they said, that's not the right manuscript, let's start again. Or let's figure out where we're at. Why are we missing? Because they should be equal as we transfer things over. Look at verse 19. He says, Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of, of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Do you see the comparison in this passage? Just in these two, just in verse 19, you see two behaviors that Jesus is talking about this in this verse. He's talking about those who, who set aside. Those who say, well, I like this part, but I don't like that part. Well, that part's really important. I don't know if that other part really applies today. Well, they are really speaking to people back then, but it really doesn't speak to us right now. It really doesn't apply. He was saying, don't set those aside. They disobey. They teach something differently versus those who practice and teach what's commanded. It's called least versus great. He says, for those who... Set some aside, you're going to be called least in the kingdom of heaven versus those who say, no, I'm going to live by it. You're called great in the kingdom. One is for the word of God and one is against the word of God. Church, where are you today? When it comes to the word of God, are, are you for it or are you against it? 
Are you for it in the way you live it? Are you for it in the way you study it? Are you for it in the way you engage it? Or are you against it? See, because you can't be both. You can't be somewhere in the middle. You're either, you're either for God's word or you're against God's word. If you say you're for it, then does your life demonstrate that? Does your practice demonstrate that? See, that's what Jesus was lifting up. The word of God. Here's what I want you to understand this morning, church. Jesus' attitude toward the Word of God was careful submission and obedience to every part of it. Let me say that again. Jesus' attitude towards the Word of God was careful submission and obedience to every part of it. And if we're going to walk as Jesus walked, if we're going to do as Jesus did, if we're going to have power to go deeper with God, then we should adopt that same attitude. Won't set any of it aside. I'll carefully study it and submit and obey to every part of it. That should be our attitude to walk as Jesus walked. I want you to meet somebody this morning who's been learning how to do this, Diana Browning. January, we started having some testimonies, and I said, I want to do this throughout the year and have at least one a month where somebody comes up and shares their story and shares their journey with God. And uh, Diane and I talked, we met, and she said, I'd, I'd be glad to share. And so she's been working on her testimony for some time. So Diana's going to come on up here, and she's learning exactly what we're talking about. She's been learning about submitting to God's will, prayer, obedience, Scripture, and so Let's give attention to Diana. She shares her story about her walk with God. Good morning. I am Diana Browning, and I am from Bellevue, Kentucky. That's in northern Kentucky, just across the river from Cincinnati. There was a time when I felt like I was not supposed to be born. My mom was 16 when she became pregnant with me, and my dad was 18. My mom dropped out of high school her junior year to have me. My dad was a drug addict and an alcoholic. He emotionally and physically abused me. And when he was drunk or high, he tried to touch me inappropriately, and I had to fight him off. He abused my mom, too. I remember feeling responsible for the abuse she suffered, because if I wasn't born, then maybe she wouldn't have married him. I felt unwanted, unloved, and worthless. My mom started taking me to church when I was six. At church, I learned that Jesus loved me, and I learned that God knit me together in my mother's womb, and that he even counted the hairs on my head. I learned that I am made by God, and he makes wonderful things. I learned that God had all my days planned before they even happened. So even though my parents did not plan to have me, God did. Because I was abused, I felt like something was wrong with me. But I learned God makes wonderful things, and he made me. I remember the peace of learning that I was loved and that I was important after all. I looked forward to Sunday mornings at Bellevue First Baptist Church. For those two hours, there was no yelling, hitting, or fighting. I felt peace at church, and I loved singing the hymns. My favorite one was softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. You all might remember that one. I'm not going to sing to you, though. Come home, come home, you who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, 
O sinner, come home. I was weary. I was weary from feeling worthless, from enduring the abuse that I suffered at home alone. So when I was 11, one Sunday we sang that song, and I decided to answer Jesus' call to come home. I professed that Jesus was my Lord and Savior, and I was baptized. From that moment, I was not alone. The abuse continued, but now I knew that I could do all things through God who gives me strength. In order to stay strong, I had to stay connected to God. I didn't have adult examples of how to do that at home. So here are some things that I did. The first thing, I got involved in the Fellowship of Christian Athletes in high school and the youth group at my church. This allowed me to form friendships with other Christians and have adult Christian role models. The second thing I did is I regularly attended church and Sunday school. Third, I read my Bible at home and I highlighted verses that would get me through the hard times and I tried to memorize them. One of my favorites is Jeremiah 29 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. I clung to that verse. I knew God had a future for me, and I had a hope that one day I could have the happy family that I did not have growing up. The fourth thing I did is I did join the choir at church, and I sang praises to God. Even though I could not sing, I really enjoyed it, and my voice got lost amongst the other choir members, so it was okay. Even now, as a grown-up, I like to listen to Christian music and old hymns throughout the day to keep me connected to God. And the fifth thing, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. By praying, I mean I talked to God. I talked to him frequently. I told him what I was afraid of, and I asked for his help and his strength. It was those habits that got me through my abusive childhood and the strength to pursue some goals for a better future. I left home at 18 and started college. I got married while in college. I didn't do as well sticking to those habits because my focus became on my studies. However, God always brought me back to him. When things were tough, he helped me to see that it was because I was trying to do things without him. I also went to counseling while in college. I learned that I suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder. I had bad dreams from the abuse, flashback memories, and I was easily startled and jumpy. I learned some relaxation skills and coping strategies to help those symptoms go away. I believe counseling is something God intends for us at times when it's needed. Proverbs 15.22 says, Without advice, plans go wrong, but with many advisors, they succeed. God's plan for my future started to become clear. He planned for me to use the pain that I experienced from my abuse to be able to help others who were abused. I earned a master's degree in social work, and now I now work as a school counselor. I work with kids who are going through abuse at home, and I'm able to intervene to help them. Isaiah 61.7 says, You'll receive a double measure of wealth instead of your shame. I certainly got a double measure when God blessed me with twin boys. Becoming a mom helped me to understand the kind of love Jesus has for me. It also brought up some confusing and hurt feelings about why my parents didn't have that same kind of love for me. 
This was a time when I had to lean into God and make sure I was sticking to those habits to stay close to him for strength. As you can see, my story is not a story about how before I was saved, things were bad, and after I was saved, things were good. Rather, it is a story of how knowing Christ sustained me through the good times and the bad throughout my life. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those that love him. Another trial I endured was the end of my 18-year marriage. I was able to endure this trial by reading my Bible often daily, praying frequently, and I even binge-watched past sermon series on the internet. And once again, I sought counseling. This was hard because I had asked God for a loving family as an adult since I didn't have one as a child, and now that was gone. But Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. So I began to pray once again that God would have someone for me that I could spend the rest of my life with and be a Christian role model for my boys. Well, we already know that God can use all things for good, even technology. I met my new husband, Daniel, on ChristianMingle.com. And we've been married for five years now. He has a son and a daughter too, so now my family is even bigger. It was obvious that God had a hand in our relationship because our blended family really blended well. Daniel has a son who's four years older than my boys, and they really hit it off well. And they had such fun together. He's away at college now. And Daniel's daughter is a sweet girl who was recently baptized. So if you're going through a hard time in life and you're doing it without Jesus, I hope you will consider my story. I hope you will consider how with Jesus you can endure all things. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, O oh sinner, come home. I am Diana, not the daughter of an abusive dad, but the daughter of a king. And I heard you say a couple times, prayer, the word of God being in your life, but you sent a new one in there. I think there's a sermon on it, binge watching sermons online. Hopefully those were mine. No, I don't. She's like, um, you know, we got together and talked, discussed how we were going to share testimony, because sometimes we do testimony via video. And if you get to know Diana, she's very much more of a quiet, introverted personality. I said, she said, I want to stand up and just do it right up front. I think there's great power in hearing that just live. Some of you all could do the same thing. I hope to continue this. I'd love to know your story. The only way to sometimes know is if you speak up. Say, hey, let's sit down and talk. I want to share my story and tell how God's been working in my life. And you get a chance to come up here. Because if you can do it amongst a friendly crowd, you'll be able to do it even better probably amongst those out in this world who maybe are not quite so friendly to your story. I just connecting the dots there, just see, you know, we talk about Jesus being a person of prayer, Jesus being a person of obedience, you see the obedience in, in her story, Jesus being a person of word, you see the word being in part of Diana's story. 
So what I'm talking about is just not pie-in-the-sky stuff. It's not just philosophy and just ideas. It's real life. And when you keep before you, I'm going to love God. I'm going to love my neighbor. I'm going to love, my, love myself. You say, I'm going to do that by learning how to be a person of prayer, how to be a person of obedience, how to be a person of the word. Life really changes. You can walk through turmoils and difficulties and still have Christ carry you through that.